Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. If there is a God, why doesn't he stop these mass shootings? Especially in a church. I mean, come on. What are some of the causes of these mass shootings? Is it always mental illness? I mean, we talk about people as if they're mentally ill if they do that. Is that really true? I mean, maybe they are, or is it just human nature? Is it demon possession? How much does Hollywood and the violent gaming world influence this violence glorified? What is the proper view of human nature? What can be done to prevent these shootings? And how about when it's not a shooting? Say it's a terrorist attack. Like the one in New York, they used a truck or a bomb. What can we do about that? Why do we have a Second Amendment in this country? Is gun control the answer? How effective is gun control? Can Christians use violence in self-defense? These are all questions we're going to try and deal with today. We'll try and get to as many of them as we can. And right after this opening segment, I want to bring my friend, uh, the great Jay Warner Wallace, on, the cold case homicide detective who obviously has some experience dealing with criminals and with guns and these kind of things. So he's going to be able to uh, shed a lot of light on this. But I want to start by pointing this out. I, you know, I see all this media coverage on this, rightfully so, uh, talking about this issue. Uh, but one issue they never seem to talk about or no one ever asks the question or brings up the point uh, about evil and what is evil metaphysically. We've talked about it on this show a lot, uh, but no one ever really seems to talk about it in the general media. And many of them think, well, evil disproves God. And I want to point out, as I pointed out many times, and uh, Jay Warner Wallace has pointed out in his books many times, that evil does not disprove God. It can't disprove God. Why? Because evil actually presupposes good, and good presupposes God. So evil doesn't prove there's no God. It doesn't disprove God. It may prove there's a devil out there, but it can't disprove God because there'd be no such thing as evil unless there was good, and there'd be no such thing as good unless God existed, because by definition, however you define God, God is what we mean by the standard of good. His nature is goodness. His nature is righteousness. So let's point that out right now. And I've heard many people say, well, stop saying if you're a politician or if you're somebody on the Internet or you're on Twitter or Facebook, stop saying I send my thoughts and prayers. Well, they were praying in church, and look what happened to them. They got shot. So forget that. Forgot, forget thoughts and prayers as if by praying you're guaranteed Nothing bad is ever going to happen to you. Let me point something out about Christianity. Christianity is the most realistic worldview. Here's our, here, let, let, let me just read some of what the New Testament says about persecution and evil. In 2 Timothy, it says, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. The Gospel of John says, if the world hates you, and this is what Jesus actually said, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Jesus said, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. It presupposes you're going to be persecuted. He says that in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. Peter.
Peter says, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. He's saying, look, it's not strange that evil is going to be done to you. He says, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you also or that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of God and of God or the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Peter also said, for it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. He also said, but even if you suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Jesus said that do not fear those who can kill the body, but those who can kill the soul. Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Peter said, having a good conscience, conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile you for your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Jesus said, blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the son of man. John said, do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Jesus said, if it persecuted me, it'll persecute you. The world will. And he said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. This all presupposes that Christians are going to be persecuted and they will experience evil. So we should not be surprised when these things happen. In fact, if you think about this, ladies and gentlemen, the entire Christian worldview is a story about how to deal with the problem of evil, how to deal with the problem of evil. That's what Christianity is about. Evil entered this world through free choice, first the free choice of Satan, then the free choice of Adam and Eve. And the rest of the story is God intervening to solve the problem that we ourselves created. He adds humanity over his deity and he comes to earth, lives a perfect life in our place. He takes our punishment on himself and by trusting in him, you can be saved in eternity from evil and you can enjoy God forever. That's what the story of Christianity is all about. It presupposes evil. It predicts evil. And yet many people, when they get uh, on TV or on radio or on the Internet, are shocked that evil could occur to Christians. No, the Bible presupposes it. The Bible predicts it. Jesus had to come because of it. But the question still remains. What can we do about it? What are we supposed to do with evil? And so as we get into the program today, we're going to try and address some of these questions. And we should pray and we should acknowledge that evil exists, but it shouldn't cause us to shake in our faith in Christ. It shouldn't shake our faith in Christ because all these things are predicted and all these things happen. And yet, that's why Jesus had to come, because there's evil in the world. We've done evil. The question is, after we've trusted in Christ as Christians, what else can we do about it? Is there anything we can do about it? Are any of the things that are talked about in the media valid? Should we have gun control? What kind of gun control? How effective is gun control when it's used? Can Christians even use violence in self-defense? You know, it's interesting, uh, from what I've read anyway, uh, this particular shooting down in Texas 
there were several gun control laws that were already violated um, by this man who did this. So would more gun control prevent it? Apparently, also, the, the Air Force had given this guy a bad conduct discharge but didn't notify the FBI and the other authorities, uh, and they didn't get this on his record. If it had been on his record, he couldn't have legally purchased the guns that he did purchase. And supposedly these guns were used in this in this tragedy. So even when you put good, good laws in place, it doesn't guarantee that A, they're going to be followed or B, they're going to be enforced. So what really is the solution to all this? And that's what we're going to talk about here today. And before we get into it, I want to point out that this weekend, if you're down in Texas, I'll be down in Sulphur Springs doing an event uh, Saturday and Saturday night, 6 p.m., a youth event, and then also speaking at the services there uh, on Sunday morning. You can see all the details on our website, crossexamine.org. Just click on events. You'll see my calendar. You'll also see the calendar of Jay Warner Wallace. You can see where he's going to be. And uh, also, I want to point out that coming up in May, for you CIA graduates, we have Advanced CIA. It's going to be in Charlotte, North Carolina in early May. We're taking predominantly CIA graduates, but other people who are accomplished in apologetics. You can check that out. And then our customary traditional CIA will occur again in Dallas, Texas in August. You can start applying now. We only can take a limited number, so check that out. Advanced CIA in May and traditional CIA in August. Check it all out. And when we come back, we're going to deal with this, this issue of mass shootings. What can we do about it? I'm Frank Turk, back in just two minutes with Detective Jay Warner Wallace. Don't go away. Thank you for listening to the Cross-Examined Podcast. This material is made available to you for free by the contributions of listeners like you. If you wish to support future podcasts, just go to crossexamine.org and click on the Donate button, or simply use the Donate feature directly on our app. Thanks. Why doesn't God stop these mass shootings? We pointed out in the first segment it can't be because he doesn't exist, because there would be no such thing as evil, and these shootings are evil unless God did exist. Not because he's doing evil, but because he's the standard of good by which we would even know what evil was. And let me point one other thing, by the way, before I bring my guest on. God could be stopping evil all over the world right now, and we would never know it, right? (laughs) I mean... You only know when evil occurs when it occurs, but God's Holy Spirit could be restraining evil every day, and we would never know it. So it's kind of hard to say that God never stops evil. He might be stopping evil every day, and we wouldn't know it because it doesn't happen because he stopped it. But in any event, these are valid questions, and there's probably no better person that I know to talk about these than the great Jay Warner Wallace, the cold case homicide detective, who's written, by the way, several books you need to know about. I'm sure you know about cold case Christianity and perhaps God's crime, crime scene, but there's three new ones, two of them for kids and one of them for everybody. The one for everybody is called Forensic Faith, which really deals with Why should we even be doing apologetics? Was Jesus into apologetics? Were the apostles into apologetics? How do we do it? 
and why should we do it? That's what Forensic Faith is about. But the two books for kids, and by the way, these make great gifts coming up for Christmas. Two books for kids you got to know about. And the kids love these books because they're like little mysteries. One is called Cold Case Christianity for Kids that Jim wrote with his wife Susie. And the other is called God's Crime Scene for Kids. So you need to pick those books up, particularly for Christmas. They're going to make great gifts. Kids will love them. Great stocking stuffers. And with that said, the great Jay Warner Wallace. Jim, what's going on? Uh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Tough, uh, tough topic, though. And, uh, yeah, it is a tough topic. Called after one of these mass shootings or one of these uh, you know, uh, attacks occurs, and, and, of course, people have questions, and they want to know really from a perspective of, you know, how do we – it's just kind of this big, you know, concentric circles, right? You already addressed the kind of some of the big ones. You know, why would an all-loving, all-powerful God ever allow – let me just add one more thing to that part of the conversation. Yeah. I heard your first segment. Um, you know, I, I think most of us would say, well, look, so, so if, we, if we said to somebody, well, it, would it be okay for, for God to allow just a relatively little amount of evil if, in fact, it, 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 it created some other good? Some, it, it either developed your character, it drew people. But, I mean, you would say, well, yeah, but not something this horrific. Okay, but how about if it was just some small, relatively small, temporal, temporary evil that was really uh, allowed, uh, created some other positive good out of it, some ripple effect that was positive both historically, was positive in your own life? Well, we would say, okay, yeah, but it has to be just a little tiny you know, percentage of my life. I wouldn't want it to be this horrific. I might allow some small discipline or some small event that I might have to suffer through because it develops some good character, but this is far too great. Uh, okay, well, how about if I could also say that in addition to only allowing a small, relatively small amount of evil in your life, he also guaranteed you you would never die, so that no, no evil would ever terminate your life. Well, that's better. That sounds more acceptable to most of us, right? If, if there's going to be a lot, God's going to allow some evil, it's just going to be a relatively small amount, and, and never would it ever threaten our existence. Well, it turns out from a Christian worldview, that is exactly what God is doing. Mm-hmm. What we do is we typically embrace a view of life that is ex- entirely secular. It's this idea that we have birth to death, those 90 perfect years, pain-free but in fact, the Christian worldview teaches us that we are eternal creatures that are born. They, we pass through that point we call death here on planet Earth, and then we uh, pass into eternity, where we will never face death, and we will never also face any pain or suffering. No tear will be cried in heaven. So, so whatever we happens here on Earth, even if it's this terrible suffering for years, relative to eternity, we could check the first box, it's going to be a relatively small millisecond of of evil that will be allowed to uh, happen to us relative to our eternal life with with God the Father. And and we were guaranteed that whatever happens to us will never end our lives because our lives are not this mere mortal existence here on planet Earth, but in fact, our eternal lives with God the Father. So now both of these conditions that most of us would say we could accept that God would allow just a small little bit of evil to shape something better, and it would never threaten us in terms of our, our, our existence. Well, those have both been met. Those two conditions have both been met if the Christian worldview is true. And so I think that part of my problem as an atheist for as many years as I was an atheist is I thought that whatever had to happen, all joy, satisfaction, even justice, had to be served, had to occur, in the context of my mortal life. And if it didn't, then something's wrong. Something's broken. Something's askew. 
Mm-hmm. When in fact now, as a Christian, I recognize that if the Christian worldview is true, there's really the problem of evil is in large part mitigated by the nature of eternity. And of course, as an atheist, yeah, I have a problem called evil, but as an, a Christian, I only really kind of dwell on that problem if I forget what the Christian worldview teaches, that all the souls that were in that church are brothers and sisters because they trusted in Christ, uh, they suffered an evil. And we have a choice now what to do with it. Are we right. going to allow it to shape our character? Are we going to allow any good to come out of this? Because the idea that they're, they're gone is not true. That's right. We will yeah. be reunited yeah. to them in eternity. And if that Christian worldview is true, we now can assess what it is God wants us to do in light of this tragedy. And let's also talk about briefly, because we've covered this on this program before, and I know you have as well. Let's talk a little bit about the ripple effect, uh, because people will say, well, I can't see any good coming from this particular tragedy. And right now we can't, obviously. But is it possible that if God is God, that, yes, these people are with God now already, that's obviously a, a, a positive ripple, but can can an event like this, Jim, ripple forward into the temporal world and bring good from it? Yeah, well, I think it, this is the thing that's about it. Even if it, I'm sure it can, and I'm sure it will. Right. But, but here's the thing I would say is that it, let's just say God's only focus is on the souls that He took home, that He allowed to be taken home on on that in that tragedy. Okay. Let's just say it's just on them. I know as a parent that I have allowed my kids to suffer a form of discomfort, or you might even say evil. I haven't jumped into their rescue as they are becoming adults. There are now times when I know that to jump in and solve a problem only does them more harm than it feels like it does good. But the reality of it is they now have to learn how to stand on their own two feet. So I resist the temptation to solve every problem, to make every pain go away, because I know that I'm looking for something good five years from now, ten years from now. But as God the Father has more to work with than I do. I only have my temporal life here of 90 years, I hope, you know, whatever it may be on planet Earth. But God has all of eternity with each and every one of us. He might even be developing character in us that he doesn't, it's not going to happen, you know, in this life, but he's got us for all eternity. And his scope, you know, we often, you and I often talk about the, 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 the monk who once said, if I had control and I could solve, and I could stop all evil, I, you know, I certainly would. But if I had the wisdom of God, you know, if I had the power of God, I would stop all evil. But if I had the wisdom of God, I would allow things to happen the way they do, because God knows what he has in store. Every time you watch those science fiction shows, there's just several on the last year, where someone goes back in time and tweaks some small effect. Mm-hmm. And then comes back and realizes that nothing is in the present the way they had known it because they changed something. They didn't realize they had started a domino sequence that now effect. in the present yeah. has been created an entirely different present and then an entirely different future will be occur. Why? Because they didn't even know what they did in the past in these science fiction shows that caused the tweak. Well, that same kind of thing happens all the time. I think God knows that, that, that all the dominoes and how they fall and where they fall. Now, of course... Frank, you and I are talking about this in a very um, kind of rational, detached way. And, and I know as a, as a homicide investigator, I, I typically open cases where people are, have been dead for years and their families have been waiting for justice. And when I first meet those families, although I'm tempted to offer a, a kind of a rational, kind of walk through this in a rational way, I know that that's not where they're at, that, that they're right. grieving still and they are sensing such pain that the best thing I can do 
And it's hard for me because my first inclination is to fix it, right? Jump in mm-hmm. and give you a reason why this might have happened. I, I probably make a promise how I might help solve it. All those things. No, I, I have to sit and just listen and, and let people empty out their grief. Because once they've done that, once they've been allowed to empty it out, then we can get to business, right? It's solved in this case. But I know that sometimes we're talking about something that feels very, in some ways, kind of academic and detached. And that's good for us, by the way. I think if we do this kind of thing in advance, if your listeners who are listening to this show, Mm -hmm. they're listening to us think about this rationally before they experience evil, it will change the way they experience things going forward. But those who have suffered of evil, sometimes uh, this kind of stuff we're talking about is like, you know, it's bouncing off like Teflon because what they need is to be held and and to be listened to and to be, be, you know, us to be empathetic and compassionate. And and unless you have experienced something like this, it's hard, I think, to get in their shoes. In fact, it was uh, just last week when you and I were in Nashville, near Nashville together at the NRB conference, and we happened to share the stage with Robbie Zacharias answering questions. And the last question that came in, was for Robbie, thankfully. And the question was from somebody in the audience who had just lost their 22-year-old daughter in an accident. That's right. And uh, according to the question, the lady wasn't walking with the Lord anymore. She had given her life to Christ earlier, but she wasn't walking with the Lord and had an accident. And they asked Robbie, how can we be sure she's with God now? And Ravi, wow, I, I'm so glad that question went to him because I don't have the sensitivity. Right? Yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't have the sensitivity to answer the question like he did, and I can't even recreate what he said. No, but uh, he had a pastoral heart. And he that's did. What it really yeah. comes down to you and I have to remember that, right. that we. He always talks about how you're you're answering the person, right? Not the question. And, and right. he's really good at this, right? At, at answering the person. And I think that's a good lesson for all of us, right, is that we, we want to be in a position where we know enough academically and thoughtfully about how this might be possible, that an all-loving, all-powerful God might have some purpose in this that we don't understand at this point because we're not God. That's why that, that, that objection seems so powerful. It's offered as, hey, you've got all-powerful, all-loving, so if there's not stopping it, he can't be all-powerful. If he doesn't want to stop it, he's not all-loving. But the third leg of the theological stool here, the characters of, characteristics of God, is intentionally left missing to create the dilemma. And the third leg is he's not just all-powerful, all-loving, he's all-knowing. That's and right. the all-knowing yeah. nature of God is what solves the uh, apparent dilemma, because God knows something greater is a greater good is going to be achieved by what feels like a tragedy. Like there's no way there could be a greater good, but we don't have the wisdom, foresight, and the understanding of God. But guess what? Someday we're going to get a chance to see things through his lens, and we'll know why this was allowed to happen. That's right. And he has to allow free will, because if he doesn't allow free will, we can't love. And this is a moral universe. So we have to have the ability to love. Unfortunately, it gives us the ability to hate like this guy did as well. Now, why did he hate is the question. Was it mental illness, demon possession? Was he influenced from outside forces? And what can we do about it? That's what we're going to talk about when we come back with my friend Jay Warner Wallace, the cold case homicide detective. We're talking about evil today and mass shooting tragedy that just occurred last week in Texas. So we're back in two minutes. Don't go away. shootings. What can we do about them, if anything? A lot of people out there talking gun control. 
it's always an issue that comes up when something like this occurs. And, you know, I know a lot of people will say, well, don't politicize it right away. But, look, it is a legitimate question. I mean, is there something we can do to prevent this in the future? Now, as I mentioned earlier, in this situation, this guy should have never had access to guns based on what he had done. And the system failed. The Air Force didn't report it, apparently. Uh, and if they had, he probably never would have had access to these guns if he had been sentenced properly for fracturing his stepson's skull and beating his wife. If a judge had sentenced him to the five years that he should have gotten, he wouldn't even be he would be in jail right now. This wouldn't have happened. But the system failed. But before we get to that question of gun control and many, you know, anything else we can do about this, let me ask Jim. We're talking to Jay Warner Wallace, cold case homicide detective, a lot of experience in obviously uh, the issue of crime. Jim, let's talk a little bit about mental illness. I, I know that people want to say this guy, they'll, they'll say words like nut job and he was crazy and he was insane and all these things. But that's really hard to determine from a distance. Obviously, he was depraved, but we're all depraved. Tell us a little bit about your perspective on this and what can we do if this guy was mentally ill? What, what could we have done? Yeah, that's the uh, the billion dollar question, right? I mean, it's it's a it's a big issue, Frank. And I can tell you that having worked with uh, a number of these crimes and calls for service uh, in our city, we get a lot that's related to uh, complaints or fears that somebody is mentally ill, and is either a family member who is now creating a problem at the house, and so we get there and we'll take them for seventy two hour holds. Uh, we'll, we'll take them because we have a statute in our 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 state, and it's probably the same really in every state in America, that allows peace officers to take uh, a person into custody, not to jail, to take them to a facility to be evaluated if, they, if we think that they are either a harm to themselves, present a harm, uh, the capacity to harm themselves or harm others based on mental illness. And so we'll take them into these facilities, and they'll be held for a short period of time. I don't think I've ever in our, st- our state had anyone held for that entire period of evaluation. Sometimes they're released within a day, within several hours, depending on where we're at. And then we're right back in the same position again. Why? Because this is an issue that we aren't really prepared yet to, to, to deal with as a culture for a couple of reasons. Number one, we don't want the bar to be so low that, um, that we're going to be uh, trying to uh, – people, people in facilities. Uh, but what, what we even say is, is mental illness. What are, what are the criteria? We don't want the, the criteria to be so low because if that's the case, as you know, most of us would qualify as. Yeah, we'd have to lock up everyone in Washington. Yeah, right exactly, <laughs> exactly, and, and all the rest of us as well. Probably. That's right. So, so if it's too low, none of us want to live in a situation where we're feeling like, wow, it's so precarious that the government gets decided to decide if we're mentally ill. Number two, right. even when we have a legitimate uh, issue of mental illness in, in front of us, we don't even have the financial resources to do what we'd have to do to help some of the people that need to be helped. So wait a minute. Are are you saying that 25 years on the police force there in Torrance, California, you would bring people in for mental evaluation and never was anybody admitted to an institution as a result of that evaluation? I can tell you that in my experience as a patrol officer and as an investigator, that was the case. Uh, And this is why we have – look, do you realize how much of homelessness is attributable to people who are mentally ill? Right. And why is that the case? Because we don't have facilities and a system in place that can afford to do much more with them. So we, we entrust these folks back to their families, 
And when they reach their wit's end with them, and a lot of these folks are grown adults who can become violent, they end up homeless living on the street. And this is probably where most of our mentally ill people in America end up. We don't have a system in place that can actually treat them. And, of course, families run out of resources. And so this is where a lot of our homeless community is really coming from, is they are, in fact, mentally ill. Now, now I will tell you that we have to figure out what we want to do with this. But, again, Frank, you and I both know that for us to, to think that, 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 that addressing mental illness will solve every incident of gun violence, of course, no. is not the case. Because, no. as we said before, our Christian worldview informs us that it's not just mentally it's not just crazy people who do crazy things. All of us, we are driven by the same three things I always talk about that drive bad behavior. It's, it's, it's greed, financial greed, sexual or relational lust, and the pursuit of power. You don't have to be crazy to be driven by one of those three things. Sane people are driven by those three impulses. Well, let me let me let me, let me ask you this about this guy then, because I mean this is just one detail, and obviously I, I don't know all the details of how this went down, but I, I'm pretty sure this did happen after he was driving away. The murderer was driving away, being chased by two civilians. One of them, as I mentioned, NRA trained who shot him and and uh, and then pursued him. Apparently, the murderer picked up the telephone, his cell phone, and he called his father and he said, he said, Dad, I've been shot. I don't think I'm going to make it. Does that sound like something an insane person would do? I mean, he seemed to be planning this whole thing out. What he that that could have been a sane person doing that. And yet we call him crazy when, in fact, maybe he wasn't. Yeah, I think what we're saying sometimes when we use that terminology is we're saying that we think that what he did, the event, the activity, the action is crazy. Right. Like nobody in a, you know, but doesn't mean the person who does this crazy thing right. would be described necessarily as crazy. And so I think this is part of our dilemma, right? Is that, that again, we, we, we all agree we ought to do something to help those who are mentally ill. And there are times we've had a few of these in the last five years I can think of where the suspect who's involved, we would say, yeah, that person actually was crazy and the system seemed to fail in, in terms of not identifying him or, or doing anything to help us um, address his, his uh, mental illness. But this is not the case here, uh, necessarily. I'm not like you. I don't know all the details, but I will say this. Again, my whole career has been built around uh, investigating people who did crazy things, who were themselves not crazy. So again, the Christian worldview helps us make sense of that. And what it does for me is it, it, it humbles me because it tells me, Frank, that, that, that I don't have the ability. I'm the same person like you who is capable of evil if driven to a certain point because the Christian worldview predicts that kind of thing. So, right, and, and these people that, that you have put away, many of them you have put away yourself with the help of others, obviously, these people did a, a horrific thing, say, 30 years ago, but they've been perfectly rational covering it rational covering it up for the past 30 years right i mean these oh, are yeah yeah definitely they're Absolutely. not they're they're not so crazy that they can't function they do function and so i yeah. think the main point that that comes out of this for me anyway is that whether or not this guy literally was mentally ill isn't really the point because we can't evaluate that from a distance. But what we can say is this is what the Christian worldview predicts in the sense that we are evil, that it's easy to be bad, it's hard to be good, that we can be driven to crime, murder, 
I mean, it's the story of human history just because of our nature. And, and I think many people don't seem to realize the evil within us. And that evil within us is what Christianity is addressing. That's why Christ came to save us. So let's not miss that point as we try and, and, and mourn what has happened here. Let's try and not miss the point that, that evil doesn't exist and it even exists in ourselves. Yeah, and before we move on to this issue of, of gun control, which yeah. I know we're going to get to probably in the next section, but, but let me just say this to you, that, that I remember writing about this because I, I get asked these questions every time we have some mass shooting is what are the areas that we, we, we need? We've kind of already addressed the issue of God's sovereignty and, mm-hmm. and how we would explain any evil. Why would God allow anything like this to occur? And, of course, I think the issue of eternity helps us to understand that. And then we've now we're kind of addressing this issue, the question of mental illness. And while we're in this kind of wrestling with this question, I, I wanted to just point out that I wrote about this years ago, and I, I keep on updating it, right? And, and, and on our website at, at, at Cold Case Christianity, it, it's called Three Important Questions to Balance in the Wake of Gun Violence. And I, I only mention it right now because I, I linked to an article that for me was one of the most insightful articles. It's on a website called Anarchist Soccer Mom. She's done a great job. Years ago, she wrote about a, an article called Thinking the Unthinkable. And she wrote about it in 2012. And I link to it at my website because it's so powerful, because she talks about living with a son who is mentally ill and that she loves her son, but that he terrifies her and has been this way really since he was very young. And if you read it, this thinking the unthinkable is linked to that my website in that article. It helped me, at least, to understand really the, 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 the dilemma we face when, when we talk about what do we do with people who truly are that those percentage of people who truly are male, I'm not saying this guy, based on what he's, uh, we know about him so far, would qualify even at all in this area. But there are people who do. And this presents an another entirely uh, large dimension of we have to deal with, which is what do we do with – because in the end, maybe it's the first time your, your listeners have heard this. We are not addressing the issue of mental illness in our culture. Mm-hmm. And that's why folks who are mentally ill, they're not, they're not institutionalized. They are largely in the homes of their family members or they're on the street because we don't have the resources or even a system in place to, to deal with that. Now, that kind of, I think, does raise the bar for us when we talk about gun control because we have to remember we're talking about it in, in, a, in, a, uh, in a society in which we aren't really either willing or able to address the issue of mental illness. So it does factor in because these folks then – are going to have access to some of the same resources, some of the same weapons that the rest of us do. And so whatever we do is we begin to talk and turn that corner and talk about gun control. Remember, we're doing it in the context of a culture that really at this point has not really prepared itself to deal with the issue of mental illness. Either we don't want to admit it, we don't want to admit that the people we are dealing with might be mentally ill, and, and we're not even quite sure what would qualify as mental illness. And I understand their apprehensions there. Or two, we just don't have resources, financial resources. And now, especially as, as medicine is changing, we don't have the financial resources to even begin to address the issue. Well, I don't know if you were a benevolent dictator, what you'd do. It's probably a hard question. Uh, but what would you do? Do you have any insights on how we deal with this? Well, I, I think even if this is this is why it's so hard, Frank. Even if I said, "Yep, I've got a criteria. So I've got ten things here that I say if they if anyone demonstrates or displays these ten attributes or ten characteristics, they ought to be quali- ought to be deemed mentally ill." Even if I could 
come up with my, my 10. And we could even as a group come together and agree on 10. I don't think we have the financial resources mm. in place to do anything with those people yeah. or for those people. Right. So in the end, I think that, yes, it, 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 we have to. Now, the Christian worldview, though, also elevates the important role of family, that we are called to, to deal with our own biological family in a way that most of the culture doesn't affirm. And if we were living as Christians, we do that. And then the church has a role to play as well. Yeah, we've kind of destroyed the church and the family in this country. That's probably part of the reason we're seeing more and more violence. But we'll talk more about it, and particularly the question of gun control when we come back. You're listening to Cross-Examine with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. My guest, Jay Warner Wallace, BoldCaseChristianity.com. We're back in two. Don't go away. If you find value in the content of this podcast, don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can find more. Just type Cross-Examine or Frank Turek on the search bar. Also, visit our website where we add new videos, articles, and free resources daily. Would gun control of some kind help prevent a mass shooting like the shooting that we just saw last week in, in Texas. That's the question we're going to deal with in this segment, and my guest is Jay Warner Wallace, cold case homicide detective. Now, a lot of people in our country may not understand that the reason we have a Second Amendment in our nation, in our Constitution, is to protect citizens from a despotic government. It, it wasn't put in so you could go deer hunting, although that gives you obviously the opportunity to go deer hunting. It was put into place to protect you from a despotic government because they didn't trust the government. Our founding fathers didn't. They were running from a despotic government. They were, they were trying to get their independence from a despotic government, and they knew if you armed the people, then the despotic government could be held in check. That was the reason for it. But the question now is, are there any limits on weapons that human beings, citizens in the United States could get? Any reasonable limits we ought to put on that? And Jim, being a cold case homicide detective and being in law enforcement for over 25 years, has some thoughts on this. Jim, what do you th what do you, what do you think of the whole concept of gun control? Does it work? Because let me just throw out something that that people who are against gun control would say. They'll say, "Look, we got the strictest gun control laws in the country in Chicago, and look what's going on there. Hasn't done a thing." Well, I think one of the things you said when you started was provocative, and we should address it. You know, if we had uh, uh, gun control laws, uh, we wouldn't have a mass shooting like this. Well, I think that's true. I mean, if we let's just extrapolate this all all the way out mm -hmm. uh, theoretically. If there wasn't a single gun owned uh, by anyone in the country, uh, we wouldn't have mass shootings like we saw last week uh, at that church. Well, that's true. I mean, because if there were no guns, there's no shootings. But the real question is, if we didn't have any guns, would there ever be mass murders? Like, well, there still would be, of course, because we know that in the last two or three years, internationally, the, the vast majority of terrorist acts and the largest uh, mass murder uh, from terrorism in New York City since 9-11, which occurred what, a couple of weeks ago, had nothing to do with uh, using weapons other than a rented truck. Truck control. So, again... Yeah, exactly. You got to have you know these kinds of rental again. If you eliminate the weapon, the people will simply change their method. And most terrorist activity internationally has been either rented vehicles 
or bombs, and most of those bombs we know how to build just from the resources that are available for free online. So again, the problem we have here is not the the mode of of, of this being used, It's it's the human condition which, the, again, the Christian worldview describes perfectly. And if you eliminate guns, trust me, people will find some other way to do it. But do I think there is a middle ground that can be... Yeah, I do think there is. I think one of the things you said was so powerful a minute ago, too, Frank, is that if we interviewed young people, my kids, your your kids, I mean, maybe our kids are better versed on this issue, but I mean, most millennials and Gen Z, if you ask them what is that kind of the, the need... Why do people defend the right to own arms here in America? I think they would mistakenly say that it's because we want to protect ourselves from evildoers or or have the ability to hunt, like you said, or recreational use of guns that are not against other humans that are, you know, hunting typically is, is cited. But, of course, we know that's not the history in our country, is that we, unlike other countries, hold this right because, again, we were fleeing from a uh, what we consider to be an oppressive uh, um, government system. And and the idea of holding on to our right to own guns is so that we can protect ourselves, not from each other or use it to go hunt, is to protect ourselves from oppressive government. Don't be surprised that as we move culturally toward a a view that, that, that people want and trust government to do for them, for them what they're not willing to do for themselves anymore. That in the context of that kind of view of government that is really too trusting, that we would then see no need for guns. Of course, in the beginning, we didn't trust government to do for us what we knew we could do for ourselves. And in that view, we needed to protect ourselves from government. But yes, I see uh, uh, culturally more and more people who are willing to say, yeah, I trust government. And I actually want government to do stuff for me that I'm not willing to do anymore for myself, mm-hmm. that we would then lay down our arms and be willing to give up our arms. That really kind of, be, be, um, kind of exposes our really unwarranted trust of government that, that really is something relatively recent that yes. I see uh, in the history. So, so I think you're right. We, we, a lot of this comes down to the fact that we have mistakenly think that we are uh, asking to, to hold on to our right to guns. For, for really a reason that it was not originally why we wanted guns to begin with. It was to protect ourselves from, and by the way, doesn't the Christian worldview also predict that if you think that the human nature is such that we could trust a governmental system to do right by us, you don't Always, understand yeah. the nature of humans. That's right. That's described in the Christian worldview. Why, while it is the purpose of government to protect innocent people from evil, Romans 13.1, that yeah. doesn't mean that every government uh, isn't going to be tainted by evil. In fact, they all are going to be tainted by evil. In fact, in our country now, we're actually promoting evil when it comes to, say, abortion, and we're paying for it. And, I mean, we could go on and on about different things that we're promoting that are, in, in effect, evil. Uh, but the point of the Second Amendment was to ensure that the people retained the right, as Jefferson put it in the Declaration of Independence, to actually – overthrow their government if the government started, instead of protecting innocent people from evil, doing evil to those citizens. Now, I'm not here advocating that. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying that's what the Declaration of Independence says. The question, though, for you, Jim, is being a police officer yourself, you are for certain restrictions regarding guns. 
Uh, and in fact, well, I, yeah, I, I think I'm, I'm, I'm willing to start asking questions. You're right. right. I'm a police officer. I own guns. I carry them on duty. I carry them off duty even now. Um, but I do think that there are some reasonable restrictions uh, that we could put in place that won't violate the spirit of the Second Amendment. And Such as what? I what? think there are questions we need to start asking. Here's the questions I would ask, okay? Uh-huh. The, the first kinds of questions. Who would we be willing to disqualify from gun ownership ba- uh, based on either prior criminal behavior or documented mental illness? That's an well, this guy, question. this guy who did this in Texas really – uh, shouldn't have had the guns. By law, he shouldn't have had them. But the system failed because the Air Force didn't report, apparently, what this guy had done. The judge didn't sentence him to five years. He should have never had access to those guns. So even when the law is in place, it doesn't guarantee it's going to work. No, that's true. But I think the first important question we have to ask as a culture is, you know, who are we willing to disqualify? Right. And of course, are we willing to invest in the system that would allow us to identify who it is we would agree in advance we're willing to disqualify. And, of course, it's going to be based on prior criminal behavior and uh, either some documented, prior documented uh, mental illness. The second question I think we have to ask, though, that I don't see getting asked a lot, and I I think we can attribute some violence over the past maybe five years or so. So I can think of several events that this question should have been asked is this. What should be legally required related to the security of gun collections? Uh, either in uh, safes or or what uh, whatever, because that we we don't often have requirements on a state to state level for how it is we would secure the guns that have been legally purchased. That's another question we have to ask. And and then another question we might ask is this: What consequences should we enact for those who allow their guns to fall into the hands of someone other than the owner, even their own kids and and whatever, who are are not the owners of the gun? What, requ- what consequences should we enact? Because a lot of times we'll see gun uh, violence be- being done, and when we trace it back and figure out, well, how did this guy get a gun? Well, he, he got it through some other se- second party who, who you know, allowed this gun to be, you know, not, or like, oh, I didn't realize he had the gun. Or, or, again, the consequences need to be in place so that when an act occurs, the original owner of the gun who may have gotten the gun legally, we have to bear some, I think, consequence for allowing the gun to fall into the hands of people who, who would not have on their own been been qualified to get that gun. So that's another question we have to ask. What is all this talk that we, we heard about uh, right after the previous shooting, I think the one in Las Vegas, they were talking about some kind of stock, some kind of way to turn a, a, a semi-automatic weapon into an automatic weapon. Has, has that been done to you? Are you for that to prevent people from having automatic weapons? Yeah, since the 1980s, in most states, the, the idea that we could own automatic weapons. Now, again, look, we could argue this, right? Because if we're saying we want to, to be able to protect ourselves from tyranny, from a right. system in place, a governmental system, well, those folks who are in that government are probably going to have access to automatic weapons. Sure. But I think I would be able to, I would be willing to strike a, a middle ground here that, that it's one thing to own a semi automatic weapon. And it's another thing to own a fully uh, automatic weapon. And if we, just, if we if together as a culture, we agree that, that, that those automatic weapons may be something we would not want in the hands of, of regular citizens. And, I, again, I think we can make the case, though, that's a discussion we still need to have. But if we decide, okay, yeah, we don't want automatic weapons in the hands of, of citizens, okay, fine. Uh, I think you can make a case against that. Again, if that's the case, well, then we have to at least say if, if there are systems out there 
that people can purchase uh, uh, um, um, devices that would allow them to automa- to make automatic those weapons they have right now, which are not fully automatic. Well, then we've got to be able to kind of chase that down as well. And it appears like in Vegas that we had somebody who had uh, altered weapons to make them fully automatic. Well, then we have to – but again, Frank, if we're not saying here that the Second Amendment is in place so we can hunt, and we don't need automatic right. weapons in order to hunt. What right. we're really saying here is we don't trust government, mm-hmm. and we want to be as citizens able – to resist the uh, oppression of a bad government. Well, that does open the door up to having the conversation, at least, about whether or not um, automatic weapons ought to be part of that process, because we would argue, hey... Isn't it ironic, though, that the people who are really for all kinds of gun control, and and we're we're saying here that we're open to some, but all kinds of gun control, uh, don't seem to point out that the guy who stopped this guy had a gun. I mean, yeah, so I think if, these are questions we have to start asking, right. and if nothing else, let's have the conversation with those good questions on the table. And those, right. are, by the way, this means we're going to wrestle with difficult issues, but at least we have the right questions in front of us. That's right. Hey, Jim, thanks for lending your insights on this important topic, man. Always great to thanks, have you. Brother, on. Appreciate being with you. I appreciate it. That's the great Jay Warner Wallace, Cold Case Christianity. Cold Case Christianity for kids. God's crime scene for kids. You ought to pick them up for Christmas this year. I'm Frank Turek. We'll talk about this issue again, I'm sure, but I hope not soon. God bless you all.